Welcome to State of Health Podcast. This is your host, Jay Mart. On this podcast, I want to share my experiences as a personal trainer and health coach with helping clients reach their goals. And I want to share my personal stories from self-experimenting with physical training, nutrition, and other lifestyle choices. In this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Coach Daniel Yours to talk about training philosophies as a personal trainer. Dan has a Bachelor of Science in Kinesiology from York University, and he's also completed two years in chiropractic college before switching gears to pursue a coaching career. He's got a number of coaching certifications on fitness assessments, mobility training, and exercise physiology. I met Dan while I was working at a small boutique gym in Toronto called KX Yorkville. He joined the gym near the end of my time there, but even with a short amount of overlap time, we made a connection due to the similarities in our training philosophies and how we both approach clients. I thought we would have a good conversation about what those philosophies are. And it would be useful for listeners to hear it because it's important to know that before you hire a coach. First of all, it's important to acknowledge that if you have a health and wellness goal that you can't accomplish on your own, you should look into hiring a coach. You pay for expert help with other services like doing taxes or electrical work on the house. Getting expert help with improving physical fitness or altering diet for a specific purpose is just like that. But once you make a decision to go ahead with getting help, the question is, who do you hire? This is why I think it's important to know the coach's training philosophy before hiring them because you want to make sure you'll be a good fit with that person. Having a successful one-on-one personal training experience hinges on finding someone who's not only an expert in the field, but also a personality match with you as a client. Dan and I discussed this at length and how we specifically value the one-on-one connection aspect of training clients. We also described our methods for teaching, coaching, and motivating clients We talked about what our expectations are from clients and also how we go about managing unrealistic client expectations. We discussed some of the differences between our own training practices and how we train clients. Also, how to balance discipline and play in the overall physical training practice. We also provided a few practical guidelines on what to ask a coach before hiring them. If you ever thought about getting expert help to reach a health and wellness goal, then listen to this episode first so you can clarify in your mind who you want to work with. Before we start the episode, I will do a quick shameless plug of my free bodyweight training program called Body Basics, which requires absolutely no equipment to get started. Body Basics is a summary of the most important movement lessons I've learned in the past four years as a personal trainer combined into an accessible training program for beginner and intermediate trainees. If that sounds like you, then get started with the program at subscribepage.com slash bodybasics. That's subscribe page, S-U-B-S-C-R-I-B-E-P-A-G-E dot com slash bodybasics, B-O-D-Y-B-A-S-I-C-S. And now let's listen to the second episode of J-Mart's State of Health podcast. It's my conversation with Coach Dan about our training philosophies. Hey, Daniel. Thank you for joining me on my podcast. Appreciate your time. Uh, Welcome. Thanks. It's uh, happy we finally got to do this and happy to be here and have this conversation. It's going to be great. Great. So just as a way of kind of explaining to viewers and listeners, I wanted to talk to you about your training philosophy, kind of how you go about approaching new clients and uh, just kind of really talking about what is kind of your your way of uh, you know dealing with, cl- with new clients, old ones, just in general. And the reason why I want to do this is because I kind of I did allude to this to you before is that we as human beings are experts at a few things 
that we know really well, but then when we have desires to kind of make, uh, to achieve something new in different areas, uh, we don't necessarily have the expertise or the know-it-all to, to achieve that. So we want to kind of, follow. so a lot of times we trust an expert to come in and help us. And so this is kind of the reason why I want to talk to you about what your expertise in fitness and personal training is, because I think a lot of people are so busy with their lives and the things that they're doing that they don't have the expertise or the knowledge or the know-it-all to kind of train to achieve the fitness and health goals that they want to achieve. So someone like you or someone like me could be the, a person that they reach out to help out to. But then once they make that decision to reach out to somebody, then the hardest thing is to actually figure out who do I go talk to. And so this is kind of the reason why I wanted to talk to you about this is because if people know what it is that your training philosophy is, how you go about approaching clients and talking to them, then obviously that will help them make a better decision and it'll make them understand if you're a good fit with them or not. And, um, you know, there, there's not, there's no one size fits all for any, every client. Of course, everyone's got a different approach, a different philosophy. There's no, uh, one right way of doing things. So someone who's a good trainer, who's a perfect fit for one client, they might not be, they might be a bad fit in fact for somebody else. So that's why it's good to know what this person stands for, what they do. Um, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And when you, when you told me that kind of idea, it reminded me instantly of a conversation I had with a friend a few months ago now where he was telling me like, you know, uh, if you have a problem with your teeth, you go to a dentist. If you have a problem with your taxes, you go see an accountant. It's like, why are we so reluctant to hire a coach for our physical fitness or for our nutrition or whatever it is? And it's, it's really the same thing. And so maybe it's, I don't know what the reason is why kind of everyone is a little bit more um, hesitant, I guess, to, to do that. But it does make sense that, yeah, we're not, we can't all be experts at everything and no one should claim to be. Um, so yeah, we should reach out, but it is like everything else. There are good people and there are bad people at what they do. And, and within that, there are people who like you will mesh with and people who you won't mesh with. Right. And I think another side of it too is, and you'll know this from training people, training clients in person is a lot of it is about like your personalities gelling just as, as two humans, forget it, like coach and client. It's just, do you get along as, as friends, if you will? And that's a big part of it as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, kind of the that, that personal connection is often the key kind of driver of the success that you might have with a client. Um, you might have all the knowledge, all the information, all the kind of wherewithal to be able to help this person reach from point A to point B. But without the connection, it's just, um, yeah, you're just kind of like spinning your tires oftentimes, I find. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's one kind of quote that I was told about coaching and, you know, the, the quote is connect first, coach second. And mm -hmm. what that means to me is, you know, this person, they don't, they say they know zero and that's why they're coming to you and that's fine. They're not going to be able to just listen to you or really believe you until they can connect with you as a human. And once they get that, then we can start coaching them on like being picky about their shin angle on their deadlift or, you know, whatever. But I can't start harping on someone about that until they actually understand that I give a shit about them as a human. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. We, yeah, exactly. It's, it's all about caring and wanting to kind of uh, be alongside somebody as they're kind of trying to achieve something new that they haven't done before. And without having a connection, you, you, you know, you can't really be that person standing by them. They won't just, just simply won't want you there. <laughs> totally. Agree. 
there, then it's uh, yeah, it's a waste of time. Yeah. The other side of that too, I think, is because coming to someone, you know, you go to someone for help with, with your taxes, again, to use that example, it's a pretty, like, no one just expects you to know those things. So it's not that big of a deal to ask for help. But, you know, we all have a body. And so for some reason, maybe it's just that, you know, you feel a little bit vulnerable asking somebody for help. Well, how do I fix my body? How do I use this thing that we all have? And not everyone knows that, but we just need to understand that we're not all just born with this innate knowledge that we have this. And so those of us who have studied and have worked at it can help in that, in that manner. And so the fact that someone is vulnerable coming to you, you need to be able to, uh, you know, work with that and, and help guide them through that, through that process of the human. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think part of it is also like maybe people feel like they can figure it out on their own because there's so much information out there for free. And, you know, if they just kind of applied themselves and uh, did some research, then they'd be able to figure out the perfect plan for them. And, you know, that might be true, but uh, oftentimes uh, people just lack the motivation. And at the end of the day, I think the biggest thing that people really come to a personal training for is that motivation and accountability that they're able to provide. The knowledge and experience almost has become secondary. From my personal experience, I don't, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I agree. I think, well, I think there's kind of two sides to it. So one, I think that most people come to a trainer for the, the, the accountability, the motivation, the, all of the kind of intangible things that you can't get with just purely reading info online. And then the other side of it is that there's so much information out there. And if you have a base knowledge of zero, you, you know, it's very difficult to kind of weed through all that information and then decide like what's best for you. Like, should I be vegan? Should I be carnivore? Should I, you know, whatever, right? It's total opposites and all of them sound, all of them sound correct. So I think the other thing that people will come to a trainer for mostly is just to cut through all that noise and get a bigger uh, or a deeper understanding of how to uh, understand this knowledge that's available to them anyways, right? Yeah. And then I, I find that they put a lot more value in that, but ultimately as time progresses and as they kind of go through the experience of working with a coach, they realize how much more the motivation and accountability how much more valuable it is for them, that aspect of it versus the uh, providing, you know, good information, good knowledge and a good path to reach the goals. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was a little bit highlighted uh, probably for a lot of people and a lot of coaches as well during these like past several months of lockdowns and whatnot, where, you know, someone you still, there's clients still had access to their coach, like still writing programs and in communication, but you're not there physically doing the thing with them. And so, you know, I, I've heard from a lot of people and I know from other coaches as well that, you know, people, clients are saying, well, it just wasn't the same without you. I was still doing the workouts. I still did what you told me to, but it just wasn't the same. And so mm -hmm. people realize that there's something else there other than just getting the knowledge and just getting the workouts. Because again, you can get that, those facts anywhere. Mm -hmm. All right. So I, I want to take, start with like, uh, we, we prepared a kind of a list of questions that we want to talk over, talk about. And let's start with the first one. This is kind of what your values are really regarding training clients. Uh, let's, let's go over this. What is your passion? You know, what, what do you really focus on? And what is the overall experience you want to provide as a trainer? Uh, kind of all related to, you know, training with clients. Uh, uh, it's a bit of a big question, open-ended question. Take it anywhere you want. And then I'd, I'd like to kind of... Uh, comment on it as you go as you go along and you know provide my my uh, kind of side of it as, as well sure so i think my passion is 
two, two sided. One is helping people to move better and, and be a better human mover. And what that means to me is that, you know, we all have a body and why is it that, you know, I have to see my grandparents who, who are old, of course, but why is it that I have to see them struggle to bend over and tie their shoes? Or why is it that I have friends who are the same age as me and, you know, we can't uh, play a game of football without, you know, six people getting injured? Or we can't, you know, someone, you know, you need to help your friend move and now you, you know, you, you can't walk for three days because your low back is killing you after moving some boxes around. And so one, becoming a better mover just for general lifestyle. And mm-hmm. two, is helping people to, to bridge the gap between fitness and the rest of their life. So a lot of things that we learn in the gym, discipline, you know, hard work, perseverance, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, they all kind of translate to the rest of our life. And I think the gym is a controlled environment in which to learn that. So with that comes a lot of self-confidence and a lot of, you know, insecurities that are relieved and, and all these things. And for myself is the same. Um, and so my passion is helping people bridge that gap and helping use fitness to kind of improve all the rest of the aspects of their, of their life outside of the gym. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of on the same boat as you. For me, particularly, I kind of, I stress out the, the part of the one-on-one connection with a client. That's the part that really kind of gets me the most. That's the part I really enjoy the most. Creating that deep connection, we did allude to this a little bit earlier with a client, is so, is so kind of rewarding for me. Just and, and that deep connection really comes from me sharing my knowledge about what I care about the most, which is like you, about human movement, and nutrition and how those two things go together to help support a healthy lifestyle. I just like care about that so much. And I love having a person in front of me one-on-one where I can tell them everything I know. And then they kind of listen and absorb as much as they can and apply it. And then when they apply it and they push past their limitations, mm, that's like the best part of it is when I can see somebody like do something that they thought was impossible prior to them, you know, doing that. It's like, that's, that's the, that's where the passion comes in for me. Yeah. Seeing, seeing other people succeed or have these kind of like aha moments um, where like, Oh my God, I've been, you know, experiencing this feeling my entire life. And I didn't know this one, like whatever fact that you just told me. And now that explains everything for me. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they realize that they, they have a lot of clients who will come in and be like, well, does anybody actually use the 50 pound dumbbell or the hundred pound dumbbell? And then, you know, as some months later, they're the ones using it. And they're like, Oh, my God, I, you know, I went to my condo gym or something, and they only had 20s. And I didn't know what to do. Right. Yeah. And so seeing that seeing that evolution in people is like, is really, really rewarding. Because again, yeah. like you said, it's, it's the personal connection, you become, you become a friend to this person. And so seeing them succeed in that avenue is really rewarding. Mm-hmm. And so what about your focus? What is your focus as you're training clients? So my focus as I'm training clients is, is somewhat thinking about very long-term in the sense like what is this going to happen to this person like 10 years from now, 30 years from now. And so, you know, I wouldn't expect any client to stay with me for forever. And I don't think I would really want that either. I would want them to be able to do this on their own at some point. Right. Um, So thinking about how can I teach this person as much as I can about their body, what their body's capable of and how to like fix things and how to adjust things and use this as a tool going forward. So, to break that down a little bit smaller, I would say first is like, let's just get this person moving well. Let's, you know, address any kind of uh, imbalances or injuries to the extent that I can deal with that um, and, and get that done and get them moving well and, and feeling confident in their movement. Once they feel confident in their movement, then we can just build on that and build on that and build on that until 
they're confident to kind of deal with this on their own. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I feel very similar to you again. Uh, uh, I'm very much, my focus is uh, try, to, try to teach the client to try to teach the client how to reach their goals in a way where they understand what they're doing so that eventually they just don't need me very similar to you. Like, you know, I want to provide them with the tools and then they have the tools with themselves for the rest of their lives. Right. And just also the, the other key thing with my, that I want to, that I always try to highlight to people is how, what we're doing, again, this is a, a point you kind of made already, but what you're doing in the gym, it translates past the gym to kind of how you feel in your body or what your overall mood and overall happiness is outside of the gym as well. So just on make them, making them understand how that, you know, the, the movement or the exercises that they're doing can, can have a big impact on their entire life, not just, you know, how they, how they appear in the mirror. That's kind of like the big focus for me as well. Yeah, for sure. And I think, and I think a lot of people, you know, they hear it from us and I say it as well to clients, but I think they, they really kind of have to come to it um, by themselves. They have to have that realization that, Oh, this makes me feel better. I need this. And then, so you can hear it all you want, but until you believe it for yourself, it, it feels different. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they'll say it, but they don't pay attention to it. And that's when I, I try to like, you know, have a sharp ear. As soon as I hear something I'm like, okay, there it is. I'm going to say that again. What did you just say? <laughs> like try to yeah. make them kind of uh, just underline some of the things that they know that they feel that they experience. But, you know, it's just like we say a lot of things throughout the day, but we don't necessarily pay attention to all of them. It's just a matter of kind of underlining those key things. And then, uh, yeah, the aha moments. And, uh, yeah, as, as you do that, it, it's, 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 it's also kind of a momentum kind of thing as they build the momentum and they realize that how, how good this could be in terms of the improvement of the quality of their life. Then uh, it becomes uh, kind of, a yeah, just snowballs and they, they're more motivated to keep going for sure for sure and i think to be fair it's it's difficult sometimes to realize these little these little wins because you know to them it's happening every single day every moment of their life but you know you see a person two three four times a week whatever it is and so you kind of get these little blips along the way and then you hear them that one day oh i slept really great for the first time in three months last night or i Mm -hmm. you know did this walk that i usually do with my friend and this time i wasn't out of breath or something like that that it's very, it seems small and insignificant, but it's the start of like a greater kind of improvement overall. And, and people just don't pick up on it the same way that, uh, you know, a trainer or a coach would be listening to it, right? Yeah, yeah. We've kind of trained our ears to be able to pick those things up because it's also how you kind of get, 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 a, get a client to keep coming back because you have to point out the things you're helping them with oftentimes. Right, right. Yeah, especially, especially early on, I think it's important because some of these more intangible kind of benefits will start happening kind of quickly. Whereas, you know, the weight is not moving. Maybe they're still on a body weight squat, something like that. They're not really lifting heavier or something that they can measure. Um, but they start seeing or saying things like my, my, this shirt used to not fit me that well. It fits like a little bit better now or mm-hmm. whatever, some, something small. And so yeah. to point that out, it kind of just reinforce, <laughs> yep, this is what we're getting for. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what about the uh, kind of the overall experience you want to provide as a trainer to your clients? Any any points on that? Yeah, so overall experience, I think I think it would kind of graduate. So from the very beginning, the experience that I want to kind of portray is a, a trusting and like kind of uh, what's the word for it? Like a judgment-free zone. And 
it's a little bit strange to that because like obviously all I'm doing is judging them up front and judging their movements and the things that they're telling me about what they do and whatnot, but trying to make them feel feel safe because again, if they don't feel safe, then they're not going to listen to any other things that I say down the line. So up front, it's just about getting this person's trust um, and, and then creating a safe environment. Um, and then from there on, we just, I really strive to, to balance the, the hard work and, and fun as well. Like coming to the gym shouldn't be a chore. I don't want people to, you know, have this life where they're like, oh my God, I hate going to the gym. Oh, I can't believe I have exercise today like oh i have to go see my trainer i i don't want that and i don't want to as a person i don't want to train someone who hates coming to the gym either so trying to create a fun environment that where we also work hard and there's no and you can do both at the same time um so that's i think that's kind of the environment that i'm that i'm trying to go for with most people yeah absolutely without a fun environment it's just uh really difficult to maintain a, a certain level of intensity that you need to maintain in order to achieve certain goals so definitely that's a, an aspect of uh, the experience, the overall experience I kind of strive for as well. I'm very much on a big on the safety aspect of it, of like the environment as well. And uh, more so regarding safety, I like to stress the actual movement, safe movement aspect as well, because basically I want the client to feel like they're in really good hands. They're in the hands of an expert, kind of what we talked about, right? They have decided to trust somebody who's an expert to take care of them. So I want them to know that I will make sure they will not get hurt while training. I want them to feel like they're in the hands of this really well knowledgeable person who will take care of them every step of the way, make sure they don't get hurt and make sure they will reach their, like we'll show them the roadmap of how to reach their goals. So as long as the, you know, the fun aspect of it, definitely I want them to have fun while they're, while they're training. But I, for me personally, I like to stress the fact that they're in good hands. They understand that I'm an expert who cares about this and like basically spends hours reading about this stuff or watching videos daily. So, uh, you know, they don't have to do that because it's done for them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Safety is part of it. And I think, and I think for me, it's more, like crucial upfront, like the fun kind of comes a little later once you've developed a relationship with this person. Um, I think the other thing I would add to that is, is it also depends a little bit on the client. So if it's someone who it's their first time ever stepping into the gym, never played sports when they were a kid, just like totally new to exercise. And this person is most likely depending on their personality as well, going to be like quite timid and like apprehensive to like lift any weights or like do any sort of exercise. And so the approach is very different. Whereas if, you know, a client comes in and it's, you know, young guy, kind of similar to me, played hockey, did whatever, then like, you know, we can kind of skip some of the stuff and like just go straight to like joking around and being buddies, um, keeping all seriousness where it's needed. But it definitely plays off of off of the client as well. Someone who's like a young kind of person who like really wants to get after it to, to, to be super safe with them might also be a bit of a turnoff because then it's like, oh, this guy's not going to push me where I want to be pushed. And I need that right? Whereas someone who's a little bit more timid is going to be like not want to be pushed. And mm -hmm. so taking a slower approach is, is needed, right? But this is where the, the personal of personal training, I think, comes in. Yeah, totally. And I mean, for this conversation, we're going to kind of use broad strokes to kind of describe this thing. But obviously, with every client, it's a definitely a personalized kind of uh, experience that we're providing. And it's not going to be the same, uh, you know, from person to person. Now, what about your actual method of teaching and coaching and motivating your, your clients? What, describe some of the specific things you do to teach your clients better. 
So I think I focus on large movement patterns and stay away from like minute details at first. I think over the past while I've gotten a lot better at um, teaching things step by step. And so I kind of think of it almost like in school, I distinctly remember chemistry class where they tell you something in grade nine and then in grade 11, they say, no, 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 that was all wrong, but it actually means this. And so it's just, you know, small details leading up to the big picture. And so I think about, you know, when I teach someone a squat, I'm only going to say one thing on the first one. And then the next time we're going to add a second thing. And then a third thing, because I know a complicated exercise like that, you can add a a list of a hundred things. And so I try and keep it as simple as possible up front. And then we add as, as they're ready. Um, And that's, that's, I think my, my biggest approach. I'm a big, I'm a big shower. And I, I do like to use tactile feedback. So I will, I'm not like super hands-on obviously with all things considered. Um, but if someone needs to feel something, you know, push your knee this way, push your hips back, push your, you know, whatever it is, then I will use my hands on, on them to help assist with that motion. Because I noticed with a lot of people who are very beginners is their awareness of their own body is, is much less than someone like yourself or myself or anyone who's played sports extensively in their life, where it's like, if I say, you know, flex your quad or bend your knee, they might just, they hear what I'm saying, but the movement doesn't go down to their body. So it doesn't happen. Um, So keep things simple, using a lot of tactile feedback, a lot of different cueing, and just really being patient until the movement is kind of gotten down and not pressuring anything that nothing has to be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm very similar to you. I like to use physical touch. I think it's a really important tool and the toolkit of a personal trainer in order to help um, a a client to be able to feel something that you want them to feel, especially like if you touch someone in a specific place on their body, then it's a lot easier for them to contract a muscle in that region. That's a lot of times what I use physical touch for. Um, I also like in terms of like the methods of teaching, like I always do a demo for, for a client. Um, Even if they've seen the exercise before, I, I just think it's always a kind of good idea to do a demo just to remind them um, what the movement is and little cute little things that they might forget. Of course, verbal cues are very important too. And like you, I kind of layer new cues as there's mastery kind of of the previous one that I've given them. Cause there's always like five or six different cues you could be thinking about for every exercise, but it's uh, you know, probably not the best thing for a newcomer to get all five or six of those cues. It's probably just good to start with one. And as they get that, then uh, the second one uh, might be, it might be time for more than one. Um, and also the other thing I find is that's really helpful for a lot of clients is um, telling them uh, exactly like what part of their body they're supposed to be feeling kind of the muscle kind of tiring out from doing an exercise or conversely, what part of their body should be f- feeling a stretch in a muscle, particular muscle as well. Like those kinds of things I find are very important for certain kinds of clients, obviously not for everybody, but um, because uh, it's really important because a lot of times uh, a client will do like fit, complete a set of that exercise. And then they're like, Oh, I felt it in my quad or something. But meanwhile, it was a glute exercise. Like, you're like, what? (laughs) How did that happen? So as long as like, if you give them a little preamble ahead of time to let them know this is where you're supposed to feel it, this is what muscle is supposed to stretch, then like that connection with their body that you were talking about earlier, they're able to 
have a more a deeper connection with their body with that uh, priming. Right. I think I think another thing to to add on to that as well is telling someone about why we're doing something. So especially up front, why are we doing this movement versus that versus that movement? Why are we doing you know only six reps of this, and why are we not doing twelve? Why are you know? So and I think this is again just building that trust to to one show the client that there's actually like a method to what we're doing, and I'm not just doing random things for no reason. And two, just so that they understand like the whole training process as well and what goes into it and what work that we do for them that they don't need to think about um, as well as again, just building that trust and education of, Hey, there's a reason why we're doing this and this is where we are now. And this is where we plan to get to, but there are you no know, four or five steps in between to get there. Yeah, totally agree. Why exercises are selected is a super important uh, aspect of kind of teaching someone especially if you have that focus like we we're talking about where you want them to be able to you know learn learn this and be able to move on from you know having you as a coach and be able to do things on their own uh, definitely the the why is is super important i agree with you yeah. what about in terms of motivation what is your skill like not skill what is your uh, what are your tactics for uh motivating clients i would say the easiest one is just celebrating small wins when a client gets a like even a single good rep out of a whole set that's up front, it's like, hey, that's a good rep and that's got to be celebrated. And because mm-hmm. that's the first one after three weeks, that was like, you know, what I wanted, right? Um, yeah. So I think celebrating those little wins in the gym um, and again, developing the relationship with this person. Maybe this person really likes to celebrate. And so, you know, we can double high five and fist bump and hug when we're allowed to hug and all those kind of things. But maybe someone is like kind of really reserved and it's just like, you know, a little thumbs up and a good job is, is enough for them. So it's really feeding off them. Um, mm-hmm. But I think just celebrating the small wins is good. I think another good one that I use is telling people after the session. So say we had a session in the morning, send them a text at night. Hey, that was a really great workout that you had today. You got X, Y, Z, like you nailed it today. So I think that kind of like outside of the gym, um, outside of the session, motivation Mm -hmm. goes a long way as well. Um, The other thing is I kind of ask clients to think about the progress they made themselves and tell other people about it. Because other people will be amazed and that will help motivate them even more to keep going. Yeah, totally. And uh, the other, the one kind of final point I'll add to everything you've said is uh, I like to motivate them by um, making them compare themselves to an earlier version of themselves. Oftentimes people are, you know, very quick to compare themselves to other people they see around themselves. But I like to downplay that uh, and more so encourage them to compare compete against themselves because you know if you're making if you're a little bit stronger a little bit more flexible have a little bit better endurance today than you did yesterday you're moving in the, in the right direction and that's that's i find is a is a good way of uh supporting and encouraging a client and uh, personally i'm not like a kind of a i don't like to scream and yell at clients i'm not like a drill drill sergeant like trainer some clients do like that, but it's just not my approach. Uh, I don't know. What do you, what do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I'm the same. I'm not really like that. I can, you know, I can turn it up for someone who, who, who likes that. Um, but I, th- I think people who really like that are people who are really training hard and training for something very specific, probably like an athlete, not a, not a regular person. And so mm-hmm. that's when someone's, you know, really trying to like kind of walk the line of injuring themselves and also working hard which for your athletic endeavors, maybe that's needed, but for regular people not needed. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta work with yourself. If someone really wants that all the time, a hundred percent, that's just not me. And probably we won't mesh on other stuff either.
Mm -hmm. Now we already talked a little bit about like kind of making the connection with a client and, you know, you really kind of using your personality to, uh, to really, uh, yeah, connect. So kind of let's talk about that a little bit more. So what, how do you kind of present yourself to clients and how do you use that to, to connect with them? What is your, what is your approach like? So detail. It's, it's, I think it's a little bit, I thought about this and I think it's a little bit difficult to, to think of it because I try and just be authentically myself. And so at the, and that sounds like super cheesy, but it's, it's true because it's the easiest way to be. If I'm trying to remember to put on this face, then like, that's just too difficult and I'm going to make mistakes with that. So when I meet someone for the first time, I try and be super professional, try and kind of get a sense of like, what is their energy? What is their level of excitedness for this or not? Are they coming here for, for themselves? Did someone, you know, a loved one force them to come here or what is it? Um, and then I'll try and just feed off of their energy. So, but I'm really trying to um, promote the fact that I'm very professional at what I do. I'm not just like, you know, Jim bro who just kind of, you know, found everything out through bro science, right? So I'm trying to, again, education, professionalism, um, trying to show the fact that I care and that I'm not going to force anyone into anything because that's not what I do and I wouldn't want that anyways. Um, and those are the two things that I really try and come off of. And then as we as we go along, then just kind of my, my more laid back self will, will come out, but still maintaining a level of professionalism uh, all the way through. I never want to be sloppy, late to those kind of things. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, and of course, this comes again with the uh, kind of uh, uh, with comes with saying that, again, there's an individualized process that comes to every client. I'm sure like, you know, there's uh, some clients that are much more talkative and want to talk the entire hour that you're training with them. And then there's other ones with a different demeanor where they're like very quiet, they're during kind of breaks between exercise, between sets, they kind of go off in their own corner and they almost want to be alone. So it, it's not the same with every person. So you definitely, there's an individualized aspect to this. Um, one thing I kind of, uh, I think is a good practice personally that I, I, I find is to try to stay away from talking about myself and really ask more questions about, uh, about them, about like even something, uh, just like uh, as simple as like how their week's been, what's going on, because a lot of times they might actually tell you something really, really important that could be, could make a big difference for that training session. Like a lot of times clients don't think about really important things that are happening in their lives that they need to tell you that, you know, makes a big difference. So just by being the person who is prodding them and asking them these questions, it can, it can, First of all, it makes you seem much more interested in them and people like that other people are interested in them. Um, they like, and you know, people like talking about themselves. So if you ask questions, you will receive a lot of information. <laughs> and then that way you might, again, receive a really important piece of information that will help you possibly push them a lot that day or maybe that week or later, later at some point. So I think that's a, that's a key one that I've kind of gathered over the years. Yeah, for sure. Try, trying to get to know the person again as a as a person and outside of like, oh, uh, their goal is fat loss or muscle gain or whatever it is, is is super important. And I think something that I do that I do well that I don't necessarily think about that much because it just kind of comes a little bit automatic is I pay attention to small details about a person. So like you were saying about something that they'll say, you know, their kid's name, their mother's name, their pet's name, 
the you know the color that they just got their nails done and then they changed it the bag that they just bought like something small just to pick up on it store it in the back of here and then next time i see them or the second time i see them i can like recall that we've already got that like rapport connection that shows that one i'm paying attention because i actually am paying attention um and two that it, they they kind of believe that and kind of have more trust in me like oh this guy's not just seeing me as another paying client or uh, someone else who needs to lose 10 pounds or whatever it is, he cares about me for me and he's paying attention to the things that are happening in my life. But it's, again, it's a difficult question to answer because it's a little bit like, I, I don't put on a face or put on like a, a facade of something that I'm trying to to act. And I think that would be kind of a, a shame if, if people did do that because it's not, it's just not authentic, right? So you're trying to get this person to trust you and all the while you're lying. It's not really going to work. It's going to break down somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a little bit of, um, like you said, you're trying to be professional and uh, show them that, uh, you know, you, you're going to provide them a high level of service. And, you know, as time goes on and you build, build a rapport, you might kind of um, be a little bit more easygoing and more joking. And some of that professionalism maybe um, does not that it goes away, but it's it, you, you have a different relationship now. So, uh you know, there's a different standard for what is considered uh, professional. So uh, I guess um, all I'm trying to say is that, uh, you know, even though you're, you're not necessarily uh, easygoing and joking in the beginning, which is kind of how the, the approach I take, you know, naturally, I'd like to be easygoing and joking all the time. But in the beginning, as I'm new to somebody, I want to show that I'm also, you know, professional, that I want to provide that high level of service. And so, you know, I do kind of curb back, curb back that, you know, a uh, little bit more joking aspect of my personality. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just, uh, it's just that, you know, as part, as the relationship builds, that's just part of it. I agree. But I think, I think, um, I wouldn't think of it as any different rather than just meeting anybody new on the street. Like you just meet a stranger in a coffee shop. You're not, not going to just be like your fullest, like you're going to be a little bit reserved until you kind of, get a sense of what this person is and where the lines are. Right. And so it's, it's obviously different a little bit with clients, but, uh, but yeah, the relationship does change over time and things become uh, more acceptable, less acceptable, whatever. So, but I think again, just going back to the whole thing is just being authentically yourself and genuinely caring about the person in front of you is the, is the biggest thing. And the biggest thing that I try and portray always. Cool. Yeah. Great. Now moving on to the actual kind of training method, uh, training methods that you use. Um, is there a specific one, specific training method that you favor that you use more frequently with a with a client? Um, if there is, do you find that it's more beneficial in some way than others, or and or are there any flaws or limitations to your favorite training methodology? All these things kind of related to uh, how you actually go about training clients. So I wouldn't call it any special i don't have like a name for the training system that i use um but definitely strength training focused um and i'm and i'm more focused on again large movement patterns and uh clients understanding those so i'll, I'll you know take apart the four five or six whatever you want to call them you know big movements break them down into their smaller parts and, and teach that with a focus over time on building strength so kind of like an elite client if you will I, I want this person to get pretty strong. If they, and, but at the same time, if they want to be doing like only calisthenics, 
or, you know, training for a marathon or something like that, then, then fine. Obviously that's what we'll do. Um, but over time I'm progressing someone into like a, a strength phase of, of training. Right. Mm-hmm. The limitations to that are that some people are not looking for that and that's fine. <laughs> like that's, I don't know if that's a limitation really. Um, but it's not what everyone's looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's better or worse necessarily than any other training system. And again, it's kind of a broad term anyway, so it's hard to say that anything would be better or worse. Um, I think the best is just a, a tailored approach, really, um, naturally. Mm-hmm. But I think it. I think it. I think it works well because it's simple to follow. It's easy to co- kind of buy into because it's a little bit general and there's nothing too specific. Um, and then over time, people do realize that, hey, like, I do want to actually get stronger. I like this being strong deal. I didn't know this before. But they don't have to be told that. Like, I'm not going to tell somebody on day one, hey, your goal, I, my goal is for you to squat 300 pounds. They'll be like, oh, my God, that's horrible. Like, <laughs> so, uh, so, progressing, so progressing up towards, towards that, I would say, is my sort of, uh, my sort of focus. Mm-hmm. Now, is, do you uh, prefer like to, uh, is there a certain modality like dumbbells or barbells that you prefer to use or is there a progression of things? Uh, like how do you go about, uh, you know, taking a, a newcomer and uh, building them up towards, uh, you know, going to a really high in- intensity strength phase, let's say? Good, good question. I think for sure start at, bodyweight exercises where it's applicable and using more um, machines or cables early on progressing over to dumbbells and then progressing up to the barbell as a more advanced piece of equipment. Um, I'm, and, and by machines, I'm not into using like the fancy machines that you'd see kind of like littered in a, in a public gym, um, but just like basic cables and stuff, mostly for pulling. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I'm pretty, I'm not against using machines. I think they're great. I think they're mostly used for bodybuilding and more specific purposes. If I had more access to them, I would use them for sure in some capacity. But I think that people understanding or or controlling their own body against a a load, whether it be a dumbbell, whether it be a kettlebell or a barbell, it's it's all the same. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't prefer any implement over another. I find that um, people are generally apprehensive up front to touch a barbell because it looks scary yeah, and it looks way heavier than it is, but over time it becomes normal. Um, I think also people are a little bit apprehensive of kettlebells because you see, and I, I love kettlebells. I think they're great. I think they're a little bit more advanced for some of the kettlebell moves. If you're just going to use it to like, you know, hold it here, like a goblet hold, then, then whatever. It's just a, it's just a dumbbell. Um, but it can be quite advanced and people see the CrossFit stuff and it's all great, but you need to work up to that, to that level a bit. So, you know, I don't, I don't prefer any implement over another. It's, it's what that person needs, but progressing to where our big exercises are kind of done on a barbell for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, definitely there is a, there is that kind of standard model of uh, getting clients to start out with easy body weight movements then challenge them a little bit with dumbbells and dumbbells are great because they have a lot of uh, free kind of ranges of motion. There's not, there's less restrictions in terms of how, how they can move their limbs. So it's in terms of like um, in some sort of injuries or whatnot, it's a lot more uh, uh, okay to get around those injuries by using dumbbells. 
And then lastly, moving on, moving on to barbells for the, you know, the added load that you simply cannot uh, simulate by the other modalities. Uh, that's definitely an approach I've also had uh, with many clients. Um, regarding this, the question specifically in terms of like a favorite training modality, I, 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 I like calisthenics. You probably remember when we worked together, <laughs> I uh, did a lot of calisthenics when I trained myself and I tried to incorporate a lot of it with my clients uh, as well. Just because I think um, in terms of like the pros for it, like what's really great about it is I, th I think it's a really good balance in terms of the, uh, the strength and flexibility as well as muscle building. You can kind of accomplish all those things with, with calisthenics uh, at a, with, a, with a good balance. There's, it doesn't really favor one over another, I find. And of course, the, uh, the main pro of it is you just don't need any equipment and you can just train anywhere. So that's obviously great. Uh, you know, the biggest con, of course, the biggest kind of uh, flower limitation with um, with uh, calisthenics or body weight movement is it's it's difficult to think of progressions between uh, between exercises because some are like super easy and you can do them no problem, and then the next kind of uh, <laughs> variation, uh, the next kind of set of difficulty for the similar exercise is way harder. And you're like, how do I go from this easier one to this more difficult one? You can't just simply add a little bit of weight like you would with dumbbells or barbells. So that's, that's kind of the biggest difficulty. And of course the other one is uh, like, there's less raw leg strength that you can develop with uh, calisthenics than you can with just like with the application of a barbell. So that's kind of like a, a big, uh, so that, and then that, that kind of really leads me to to say that, and I'm sure you agree with this. There's no one path, you know. There's no one right way of training. There's many different ways that people have figured out, and they all kind of complement each other. There's there's usually trade offs. One one's good at one thing, but not great at another thing. And then there's a complementary way of training that kind of uh, will be uh, good at that thing that the first one was not uh, very uh, good for. So. Yeah, it's a, it's about just applying as many different ways to train as possible. But I do like the calisthenics because I said like because like I said, it is a good balance of strength, flexibility, and muscle building, and and you don't you just don't need anything. And especially as a personal trainer, like work, when I used to work at the gym, and you know you're always like fighting for space and fighting for machines and dumbbells and things for your client. When you just switch over to calisthenics and there's nothing, no equipment required. It, it just makes the, uh, the hour go by a lot, a lot, uh, more smoothly. Right. I think something that maybe that I not shy away from it, but don't use calisthenics as much is one, because I don't use it as, as much in my own training personally. So it's probably not something that I'm the best at teaching. I also find it's, it's quite difficult. So if you think about, you know, a, a push up, like somebody can probably, you know, do a dumbbell chest press with 10 pounds, but you can't take that much weight off your body. Yes, you can elevate your hands and like there are regressions to everything, but it, it's still your body weight. And so it almost, I think of it almost as, and I don't know if you agree with this, but it almost, if you're going to do a full like real calisthenics workout, it's a very advanced system because most people can't control their own body. And so to get to that level is not something, someone who can just come off the street and do like a fully effective workout at that does that sort of make sense yeah yeah i agree and then i guess that's where there's like maybe a little bit of a separation between body weight exercises and calisthenics 
calisthenics is seen as more of that advanced style of body weight movement where you're doing a lot of skills and tricks, whereas body weight movements or body weight exercises are, can be seen as a little bit more basic. So I think it is possible to do a, a basic beginner body weight training session. Right. But yeah, it won't be flashy. It won't be, uh, you know, you won't find it on a popular YouTube channel or whatever. <laughs> right. For sure. And then the other thing I think with that is again, just client motivation is some people see the weights and they say they want to use it because it's an easy way to measure the fact that mm -hmm. their, uh, you know, body weight, whatever exercise is improving. They don't see that as easily as, Oh, I used to lift 15 pounds and now I lift 20 pounds. Yeah. And so for that reason alone, I, I tend a little bit more to the, to the weights, I think as well. Yeah, totally. And uh, that brings me to my next question is in terms of like common markers of progress that you look for in a client, what do those look like for you? Uh, for me, it's the, the number one thing is proficiency of movement. When someone does an exercise and it's like, yeah, that's the way it has to look. And that I don't need to be reminding them of every aspect of the exercise every time. So when it's, when I feel comfortable to like, not that I would do this, but when I feel comfortable to say like, okay, just do a set of that really light to warm up. I'm going to go get this other thing ready. When I'm at that level, that client has progressed a lot. Whereas someone who is like brand new, I'm not going to leave and let them do anything by themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I think proficiency of movement is number one. Number two is, is increase in weights, which I think is a quite easy one and an, and an obvious one that everyone realizes. Um, and three is just the person's confidence in the gym and things that they mentioned outside of their life. Oh, I, I you know, wore this dress that I haven't worn in a long time. I felt great. I didn't feel nervous about going to the job interview. I, you know, I felt confident in my body and I felt strong. And so those kind of like little intangible things are, are real markers that I, that I look for as well. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Me, me too. I mean, uh, again, this is one of those questions where the answer depends on what the person's goals are. <laughs> Yeah. But uh, generally speaking, kind of what you met, what you talked about already uh, is what I look for as well. Like uh, if someone mentions how clothes fit, if they're fitting better, that's a sure sign that like we're headed in the right direction. Uh, oftentimes uh, pictures, I think, are, you know, the pictures worth a thousand words. Uh, someone, you know, looking at their body every day, they, they really can't see the differences that are happening over long periods of time. So having a that, that before picture and then some progress pictures afterwards can also be a really good way to not only mark the progress, but also motivate the person because they can see the big changes that they're, that they're going through. And uh, I think the last thing I'll mention about with this question is uh, what's not a good marker of progress is the weight on the scale. Uh, just, uh, yeah. It, first of all, it doesn't tell you anything about how much muscle they're building, how much fat they're losing. Um, and it's, it, it, and it's just, uh, uh, it's just a number that, uh, you know, people think needs to go down, but not, not necessarily, right? It, it depends on what is going down and what's going up. Right. I, I think I have a couple, a couple thoughts on that with the scale specifically, but I agree with everything else. I, I think people put far too much value on the scale. And so what the value they put on it is like their self-worth. And that's a little like too heavy for the scale. However, I think it's part of a, a larger objective measurement that we'd be taking, whether we're taking circumference or body fat measurements by any means or whatever. But if someone is 40, 50% body fat and the scale is moving down, that is kind of what they want. And so it's not, it doesn't tell us everything, but if, if that's the only measuring, measuring tool that someone has access to, then I think it's, then I think it's fine. 
again, so long as you're not placing your self-worth on that scale and you're using it purely as like a data point and, and that's it. But totally agree that it's not the best and it's not the best thing. It's just anything that can be valuable in some circumstances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said, it's this. the answer to this question is very context dependent and in the right context, the weight on the scale could definitely be the right uh, uh, marker for progress. Uh, there's just uh, a, a very few cases where that's really the case, I find. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of clients and uh, kind of what are the characteristics that you're looking for in them, describe what your ideal client would look like. And is there someone who you would not work with? Um, someone who I wouldn't work with, I guess, would be someone who's coming to me with um, a lot of injuries, it would be like a more technical reason to not work with someone, someone who has, you know, they just came out of a car accident, they have this some neck issue and their hip and their knee and like, every they've got all these problems. And I would just genuinely say, look, like, you need to go see a, a more qualified therapist before we can start working because I can't deal with I can't work around all this. Now, sure, there are things that we can do that that will help. Um, but I would almost feel bad because they, they should be better spending their money elsewhere first. Like come see me in three or six months. But, but right now, if there's too many injuries going on, I would just, I would ask that person to think about going to someone else first. Um, other than that, I don't think there's anyone that I wouldn't work with, uh, aside from someone being like, you know, extremely rude or, you know, something like that. But you know, those people are few and far between. Um, ideal client, I would say is just someone who's someone who's willing to learn and who is, who's humble. Some, a client that's difficult to deal with, and you would know this as well, for sure, is like somebody who comes in and thinks they know everything or someone who's been doing training for a long time, but a lot of the things that they do are incorrect or there's something missing with it, but breaking down those old habits is super hard. It's way easier to just take someone who knows nothing and build them up how you want to rather than breaking down old habits and then building new ones. That's quite challenging, but again, it's part of it. I uh, don't, don't hate it for sure. Uh, but ideal client is just someone who is like humble, willing to learn, willing to work hard and, and willing to, to question me on things and not just blindly listen to whatever I say, because the other side of that is if they're blindly listening to what I'm saying and not questioning me or challenging me, then they're probably also blindly listening to the things that they saw on Instagram or on Facebook or whatever. So it, uh, it, it just helps me know that they're kind of bought into the whole system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, personally, for me, I think the most important thing for an ideal client is just that they have a very specific goal. You know, a lot of times people are just like, oh, I want to get fit or, you know, I want to get back in shape. But it's really difficult to help them with something where they don't even know what that thing is, right? So if they have a more specific goal, I'm really excited because then it's like, okay, well, at least now I can develop some sort of roadmap for us to get to that. In terms of like who I would not work with, uh, I mean, I I will do an initial movement and nutritional assessment with everyone. And then from that assessment, if things come up that I think I can't help them with, if it's outside the scope of my practice as a personal trainer, then yeah, I refer them out to somebody else who, uh, who can, and then, um, yeah, and then hopefully they they are able to find that help to to you know be find someone who can be helpful or useful to them in reaching their goals. But if I if I'm not that person, then I yeah I just I would feel I would feel bad, you know uh, 
agreeing to work with them if I know that I, there's nothing I can do for them. In terms of um, uh, what your expectations are from clients you work with, uh, describe what some of those are. It could be within a session as well as over the, you know, the entire time you, you're working with them. Right. So, so expectations, I think we've, I've, I've outlined a little bit of this, but it's the expectations. They're one, just willing to work hard, willing to listen and understand and actually learn rather than just kind of absorb and never question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the basic things like just, you know, being on time and being respectful, of, you know, mutually respectful. Um, and over time, my goal with clients is that they're teaching or I'm teaching them how to take care of their own body and their own health going forward. Right. Mm-hmm. So in the short term, it's like, Hey, let's just, let's just get better. And let's understand that you need to work hard at this. I can only tell you what to do, but you actually have to do it. Mm-hmm. If I could do the squats for you, I would, but I can't. So you've got it. You have to do it actually. Um, and if, and if you don't, then, then things won't change and we can't be upset about that. Right. Yeah. Um, so hard work, interest and, and learning over time, I think would be yeah. my base expectations. Yeah. Totally. Having that growth mindset coming into every session is super important. You know, um, obviously basic things like, you know, showing up on time and not skipping sessions is, uh, is important because uh, it's part of the discipline aspect of, uh, of training. You know, if you don't do those things, then the discipline wanes. Uh, yeah. Another thing I like to do is I, I give uh, clients homework and obviously my expectation is that they do homework. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, one last thing I'll mention, I don't know if you thought of this one is uh, I want clients to stay on top of scheduling uh, because scheduling to train, because a lot of times, uh, you know, if it's like, if you don't, if you're not on top of somebody making sure, um, you know, making sure they have uh, certain days booked off for training, then it, it won't happen. <laughs> but, uh, you know, o- over time, I'd like that behavior to change in, hopefully, and this is because they're motivated, and they're enjoying their time training, that they will actually be the ones taking the initiative to schedule those training sessions. Yeah, agree. And I think the key thing you said there is over time, right? Someone who just walks in, you know, maybe they're like all like really enthusiastic and yeah, I want to book three times a week for the rest of the year. And it's like, okay, well, maybe let's just, you know, let's take this a little slow. But then if you're chasing after three months or four months of working with someone, if you're chasing them to come to the gym every time, like, yes, part of our job is to be the accountability and the motivator and all that stuff. But after some time, like, you, you know, you've got to take some ownership of yourself and be wanting to come here because I'm not going to chase people forever endlessly to, to come and train. If you don't want to, then, then you don't have to, right? Mm-hmm. I would like it if you did, but you don't have to, right? And I'm not going to spend my energy chasing someone to do something that they really don't when I could be better spending that time and energy, you know, working with someone who really does want to be there. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So what about, um, what about like in terms of the client's expectations, you know, sometimes some, somebody comes in, like you said, they're ready to, you know, train three times a week for the rest of the year. <laughs> uh, how do you, how do you handle those expectations? Uh, is there something you do to kind of like, you know, moderate them and uh, set up different time frame, perhaps 
How do you go about that? So I think the way that I like to do this is to, is to just kind of dampen their expectations. People often come in thinking like, okay, if I do this and I come for eight weeks, then I'm going to look like that magazine cover that said eight week program. And it's like, well, you know, the, the kind of the joke that I'll always go back to is we can, I can get you to lose as much weight as you want, whatever goal you want in whatever time frame you want, but you need to live here and you need to do every single thing that I say. And so like, you know, obviously that's not going to happen. Like I remember I had one client, she was quite thin. She was, um, wanted to lose like somewhere close to 10% of her body weight in a four week period. And I said, listen, it's just, it's just not going to happen unless you come to the gym 10 times a week and also don't eat. And so, and so, you know, she, she kind of understood. And so like, you know, you just, you make a joke of it to make it sound so extreme. And then we say, listen, this is what we can actually do based on science, based on your, you know, your availability, based on how hard you're willing to work. And to further that point is I outline what it actually takes to get to the goal that they think that they want to get to. Someone says, oh, I want to be 6% body fat. Okay, that's fine. But these are the things that you must do to get there. Oh, shit, I don't really want to do that. Okay maybe, you know, 12% will be okay, then great. So being super realistic and very honest about what they want front is good. I don't want to sell someone something that is unattainable for them, because then they're just going to fail at that goal. And they're going to blame me anyways, because I told them and they could do it. And two, they just need to be realistic about their expectations of their of their own self. This whole fitness journey, it's not an easy journey. It's not a it's not a fast journey. It's a now until forever thing. And so kind of just dampening those expectations and just being super realistic with the person um, is my way of approaching that. Yeah. And what I liked what you said is from the beginning, you, you got, you got to set these expectations right from the start, right from the first meeting, you got to get clear goals, realistic timeframes. If you don't do that from the beginning, then you've kind of messed it up already. Um, you know, and uh, you can of course do kind of reframes, and reset the timelines during like monthly checkups or whatever it is that that you do. But it's really key to be on the same page with somebody right from the beginning because, uh, um, yeah, like if you if you don't, then uh, you've kind of set yourself up to fail. Yeah, and you and you set you set them up to fail as well because you know that they won't succeed, and then they're gonna just feel bad about the fact that they didn't succeed. And because I, the coach, told them they could. Now they're going to feel like, oh, well, what did me, the client, do wrong that I didn't get this result that he told me that I could get? Mm -hmm. And then the last thing I want is for people to feel bad about their results and what they've been doing and what they've not achieved because that's their whole thing coming. So mm -hmm. that's a thought. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if a client is or like just a person looking to, you know, work with you or work with anybody, um, they're, you know, they're, they've made the decision. They're going to work with a, with a trainer. Now they go around, you know, to their closest, uh, gym and they see there's a whole lineup of, uh, people that are willing to work with them. What are some of the questions or things that you think they should look for before they, uh, hire a coach? I think one of the, or some of the important ones are asking the coach, what type of clients they generally work with. If, if you're 
going to do a consultation with a coach and they work with like bodybuilding clients and you are not a bodybuilder, they're probably, they're probably a great coach, but they're probably not the coach for you. And an and honest coach would, would also tell you that. Um, so I think what type of clients that person generally works with is, is one good idea. Another one would be what asking someone what their approach is in terms of are they very flexible in like their beliefs like you must do these five exercises and eat these you know specific foods or do they generally tailor their plans like much more individualized and like hey if you want to eat this food then go ahead if you want to eat this food then go ahead but we have to agree on a few things in the middle um so asking about how personalized and what their like their own uh, version of training and nutrition and whatever it is and asking about what type of clients they generally work with to see if that's the type of person that you are yeah uh, and like to add to like the uh, idea of what type of clients they work with it's also not a bad idea to ask them what certifications they have that could be a clue as to what their specialties or area areas of expertise are um, so that could be helpful another thing might be to also ask for client testimonials, um, you know, if they've had success with other clients, it'd be good to uh, have some proof of that and, you know, be able to contact the people that have been helped by them and ask them questions. Right. Um, also, um, I think it's, it's really important to ask them about, about the nutritional coaching that they provide as well. A lot of times, you know, most of the goals that people have when it comes to going to the gym are actually like nutrition related. I find like, 75% or higher of the results that they're looking for come from that nutritional coaching they would get. So that's, uh, it's important to have at least a little bit of a discussion on that. Like, uh, you know, are, are they going to be, you know, telling you what macros to eat? Are they telling you, or are they kind of just giving you certain uh, guidelines? Exactly what is the coaching when it comes to the nutritional aspect? And then lastly, I think it's just uh, from that conversation, you try to got to get a sense of what the person's personality is and whether they jive with you. I think uh, if you kind of take, do those things, then uh, you're, more, you're very likely to find someone who you'd be happy with working. Right. I, I completely agree. And I think another couple of things that I'd add is just asking the coach why they, like, how did you get into this? How did you become a coach? is a good open-ended question to ask and one that I quite enjoy answering uh, from, from new people. Um, but I think it, it would give someone the opportunity to explain who they are and what they're about and where they came from. And if their answer is, well, you know, I kind of needed a job and, you know, this paid well or whatever, then, you know, that's probably not someone who's really going to care about you when it gets difficult. Um, and then the other side of just like very logistical question is what that person's availability is like. Working with a coach is a very one-on-one like exchange here. So if you if your schedule is like super strict and you can only train at you know three thirty p.m. on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, and my schedule is like filled at that time, well then like we just can't work together logistically. So getting an understanding of what that person's like schedule is like is going to uh, like go a long way because if it's going to be something that's hard for you to fit into your day then you're not going to do it and it's not going to help anybody so uh, a kind of a forgotten but important thing to think about when when signing up with a coach yeah absolutely availability is 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 key yeah like you said if someone's not available then you're not going to be working with them yeah now in terms of uh some i guess more personal um information about not information but like how 
how you train, I think, is also super important in terms of, uh, you know, do you preach what you, or do you practice what you preach? So is there, if you had to compare and contrast the way you train yourself versus how you train clients, is there, is there differences? Is there similarities? What, how, what does that look like? The difference, I think, I think it's mostly the same in terms of like the trajectory of training. If I consider myself like my most elite client, um, I want people to kind of be on that path to sort of where I'm getting at. Um, in terms of the strength focus, overall, overall, just body control. Um, I'm not doing some crazy exercises that like I would never do with a client. Probably a lot of the exercises are things that I would like people to do. They're just not at that level yet or at the level of proficiency where I'd be comfortable doing it with them. They could do it with super light, but like we can just do something else. That's a little bit. The other thing um, that I think about is, and it depends on the client as well. I'm okay with doing very similar exercises for longer periods of time. So if I'm going to think about like a 12 week block of training and split it up into three, four week cycles, I could have back squats in there every single time. Whereas someone else might, well, now we got to do back squat. Now we got to do a different type of squat. Now we got to do this and I can keep the same exercises for more time. And I think this just comes with like longer time in the gym. You realize that doing all the fancy exercises and switching things up every workout is just, it's fine. It's just, they're all the same. They're all just variations of the same thing. The best exercises have already been invented. So let's just roll with those and keep doing them. Um, so there's probably less uh, variability or changing of like specific exercises in, in my own training than in clients training. Like I would try and almost not program the same exercise in back-to-back phases, depending on the person and the program. Mm-hmm. Um, the other yeah. side of it would be uh, um, some things that the, like certain clients just think is fun. Some people need to do like specific ab work in each workout to feel like they did something, or they need to they need to do an exercise that like makes them out of breath. That's like fast pace to feel like they got a good workout. And I don't need that. <laughs> if it's part of like the training focus, then I'll do it. But I don't need to convince myself that like, oh, I got really out of breath, so I had a good workout. And some people need that, and it's fine, and just throw it in the workout. And as long as it fits in the system, I'm not saying I'm going to throw it in and just like for the hell of it. It has to fit with everything that we're doing. Um, But for some people, yeah, just going to add that in because that makes them feel great, and it doesn't take away or really add anything to what we're doing other than them feeling good. So, But but for myself, I'm okay with boring training for my own self. (laughs) Boring. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, personally, um, the one I think the major difference for me for my personal workouts versus what would happen uh, with a one-on-one coaching session with a client is my my personal workouts are a lot shorter. I I uh, don't have a lot of free time, uh, so when I do have it, it's usually like twenty or thirty-minute blocks, and uh, that's when I try to fit my workouts in as opposed to the traditional model of uh, one-on-one personal training is like that one hour uh, training session with a client. So, you know, that's just kind of uh, <laughs> the world we live in. And so if someone has that hour, that's what we're going to, you know, train for that hour. But I don't think an hour is this magical amount of time that like you need to train that much to uh, get the results you you need to. I, I, I've been, uh, continuing along with my strength uh increases and 
you know, gradual muscle building um, with, with shorter workouts. And I think that works fine. Um, another big one uh, is that, um, uh, I, I, and this is maybe a bit of a, not, not a great thing, not a great thing to, uh, to say is that my, my workouts are, are less focused than, uh, they, uh, than they are when I'm training a client, when, you know, a client comes in and we're working out, um, there's a very specific goal that we're focused towards reaching. Uh, I personally, um, have had periods where I'm really focused on something and, you know, I've, I've, uh, a very, uh, kind of, uh, focused program that I'm following, but at this point I don't have a very specific goal that I'm looking to work towards. So, uh, my training is a little bit all over the place. Um, one, you know, one day I'm, I'm much more focused on skill building. Another day I'm much more focused on strength sets and another day I'm just like, uh, just feel like stretching. <laughs> so, uh, and I think what that comes down to is, um, another the last main difference between uh myself and like my clients is uh, uh i don't have a specific coach like my clients do with me um and um it's kind of a little weird for a coach to say that i don't have a coach but uh what i mean is i don't have like a personal trainer one-on-one -on -one coach like i still you know go and get continued education regarding fitness health and fitness I'm, you know, getting new certifications, learning new skills and techniques, but it's in, it's in the environment of like a, you know, a, a class that I'm taking, uh, uh, that's like a weekend course or something like that. Uh, so it doesn't have the same kind of, it, it's not the same experience as working with a coach one-on-one -on -one over an extended period of time. Uh, so that's kind of like the big difference and that because of lacking that specific coach, that's kind of pushing me in a, in one direction. I'm a little bit less focused with my, with my training. Right. So do you think it's a good question? Actually, I think, do you, do you do that because you don't have like, because you don't have a coach or because you just currently don't really have a focus, but you're, you've got to a level where you don't right now have like an aesthetic goal and you're just kind of in the training for the rest of your life phase where it's like, Oh, I'll get a little stronger, maybe gain a little muscle, but like, I just kind of want to keep what I got and keep moving because I like it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it, yeah, my overall goal when it comes to training is just to be fit for the rest of my life in order to be able to handle what life throws at me. And that could be anything, right? That could be my kid jumping on my shoulders, <laughs> or that could be me lifting a piece of heavy piece of furniture, or just me having fun, you know, with some friends skating in the ice or something like that. Yeah. It could be a whole variety of different movements that require different skills, different levels of strength and flexibility. So that's definitely part of it. Um, although I, I do think if I had a, <laughs> if I had a coach, I would be much more uh, focused on, on, on things at least, or at least be spending a longer period of time on something before moving on to something else. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, I think I treated myself somewhat the same. If I'm going through a period of like when I were, when I really want to hit a goal, then I'll be serious and like write a program out for myself and whatever. But even in that process, I, I write it as if I'm writing it for a client. I don't think about it as for me, just to frame that in my head, just to do it properly. But then once I'm kind of done that phase and I'm just in a sort of like maintenance, like let's just keep working out because I actually enjoy this. I'm not going to write stuff down. I'm just going to, 
I'm just going to work out and try new things or just have fun and feel, do whatever I feel like doing that day rather than having some, some larger focus. But I think for most people, like that's kind of the end goal is you don't want to be in this like fat loss phase forever. You, you can't do that for forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, what do you want to do after you train for six, seven, 10 years? Like, are you still chasing that goal? If you haven't reached it yet, something's, something's wrong, right? So you just want to be working out for the sake of it. And, and that's fine too. And I think that most trainers have probably gotten to that stage, uh, you know, various with various time periods in between, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that kind of leads me again to the next question is, uh, as you're training, you know, you kind of have to, I have you training with two sides. There's like the discipline, hard work, hard work aspect of training. Then there is like the more fun and playful aspect of it as well, where you're just playing games. And how do you balance those two between for your training specifically? For, for, for myself or with clients? For, let's start with for yourself at first. Uh, well, for myself, I, I find, I find like the, the chat, if I'm again, consider this as like a phase of training where I'm being serious, if I'm just messing around then whatever, but if I'm in a serious phase, um, the fun will come just from like, you know, playing some music and like getting into it a little bit. And I always take a fun approach more to the, to the warm up where it's like very lighthearted and kind of just like kind of getting into the groove. But then I also, I find it very enjoyable to see the weights that I'm, I'm pushing moving up or the number of reps that I'm doing or whatever parameter we're measuring like I, that for me is amusing. And so in between sets, like when it's time to lift, like it's time to put the game face on and like, and do it. But then after that, then I can joke and smile and talk to whoever's around during the rest period sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that I, I treat that the same uh, for clients where mm-hmm. I take a little bit more of a playful approach ish during the warm up. Like, let's just get all the stuff out of your head how was work? What did your boss say? What did you, you know, whatever, like, let's just air all that stuff out. Let's kind of fool around in the warm up a bit, but be serious enough. And then when it's time to lift, it's time to lift when it's time to, you know, take our, our rest period. Then we they finish telling me that story after the set kind of mm-hmm. thing. What about like, uh, I think another part of that is it's also, Oh, sorry. One more thing. Yeah. Um, I think another part is also it's, it's very beneficial to be lifting in a, in a gym or in like a more public environment rather than at home. I find at home, it feels like very serious. Like I'm just here, I'm lifting and I'm done when you're at the gym. And, and this definitely comes from team sports, but being like the best lifts and workouts I've ever had in my life. have always been in a team setting where there's yeah. a bunch of people in the room. Everyone's kind of common goal, common theme. You know, you're, you're talking shit a little bit to your buddies and like, and those are like always the best workouts. So there's a little bit of like that fun, but like when it's time to lift and beat the guy beside you, it's time to do that. And then we can just joke about it after. Yeah, totally. That's why CrossFit is so popular, right? It, it kind yeah. of takes advantage of that aspect of training is that it's more fun to be in a group environment, all competing together. Absolutely. Yeah. And what about like actually uh, the playful aspect of training itself? Like, um, you know, there's like the, like the, like you said, the discipline aspect of it, where you're where you're uh, pushing heavy weights and you're satisfied with the fact that you have more weight, more reps. And but what about like the actual train, like not this, not the rest periods in between, in between the workout, but the actual playful aspect of training itself. Um, for for that, and and I think this is what you're getting at. Is I like to. This is where I like using new exercises or something that I've seen. And it's like, well, let's just try and find a different way to do this. 
but mm-hmm. n- but not at the expense of like the effectiveness of an exercise. Like I'm not going to do some stupid thing standing on top of a ball just because it looks cool. But like, mm-hmm. let's try and do this with one arm or with one leg instead of two legs. See what happens. Maybe it's maybe it's a good variation, something to mix up, and maybe it sucks and just throw it out and never do it again. Um, but I think I think that is where the is where the playfulness comes in. I think the other side of it is is employing a little bit of is employing a little bit of ego in that as well from time to time. It's like, well, let's just see how much I can do. Let's just see if this works. And you have to be safe and stuff when you do that, obviously. But but let's just let's just see if I can do it. If I can't do it, then whatever. But if I can do it, then that's that's awesome. Yeah, totally. I agree. Like that explorative exploratory aspect of training where you're doing new things trying to figure out if you can uh yeah do a personal best uh is 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 the playful aspect of training that i actually relish quite a bit i to me if there is a balance between discipline and play for me personally the play is like much heavier <laughs> is my is uh, currently my focus is much more on the play rather than the discipline aspect of training um you know part of that again is comes back to not necessarily having a, a specific coach currently Uh, but, um, you know, it, 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 and, and it is this moving thing that sometimes, you know, you're much more uh, invested in play. Sometimes you're much more invested in, in the discipline aspect of training. So there's no right answer, obviously, but it's, it's good to know that those two things are part of the one, one whole thing. And you can't just have one or the other, you know, um, if you're just playing all the time without the discipline, you're not going to really achieve anything. But if you're disciplined all the time and you're not, you know, having some fun exploratory sessions where you're trying to figure out new things, that's not sustainable either. You're just going to kind of uh, lose interest at some point. Right. I think, I think another kind of aspect to that is, is mixing up the days and sort of using your like rest days or rest weeks as part of this. And one kind of concept I've heard this referred to as is like, bro and sis days in the gym and that's kind of like where a day where you just go and just do a bunch of arms and abs or like you know glutes and whatever it is that like fires you up even though it doesn't really matter for your training um but it makes you feel good for that day and so you can kind of like reset your brain for the next like real training day and another even example of this that i used with a client is a guy who would never he never wanted to train his legs ever and it took me almost a year working with him to to get him to like start doing leg stuff And the way that we had to start doing it was we did a, I know a set of whatever it was squats or deadlifts or whatever it was squats. But then instead of rest after it, we can do a set of curls. And so the reward for doing the legs was like just doing some arm exercises and like, it's completely useless to training his legs, but if that's what keeps it fun and light, it doesn't make it feel like work, then it's okay too. Yeah. Yeah. That's excellent. That's a really good motivator. <laughs> 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 his, his quote was at least we can do something useful in this workout <laughs> that's wow. a that's a story for another day he's never come across the don't skip leg day meme <laughs> uh, never never <laughs> man this has been great i really appreciate your time and uh kind of joining me on zoom to have this this type of conversation we're gonna just come up on our last question we're just a little bit over an hour so uh this is perfect timing um just wanted to ask you is there anything you've changed your mind on in the last year i think the biggest thing this actually builds off of kind of what i just said is is i've changed my mind on trying to convince people 
off of their their preconceived notions. So, if, for example, like with this client I was just speaking about, if he really doesn't want to train legs, well, then like I, I'm not going to spend all of my energy fighting him on that. And I think a better example of this is if someone is going to say, oh, well, we need to do like high reps because I'm trying to lose weight. If uh, we know that that's not always the case, but I'm going to work around it rather than have the argument with them that like, and say, no, this is not why, because X, Y, Z. I'm going to say, yes, we can do that, but we're also going to do this. And so it's like, give them what they want, but then do what I know needs to be done at the same time. And I think Mm -hmm. I've, earlier I was like more direct of like, no, like this is wrong. We need to do it this way and kind of like fight people on it. But now I've, I've realized and gotten better at get again, giving people kind of what they want and what they think, but still keeping it within the system that the way I would actually do it. And I think the benefit of that is like, I still get done what I want, but they just, there's just less conflict. And so it doesn't really matter. And being like, super picky about these things is not the most important thing because again most of these people are not professional athletes if it was a professional athlete telling me hey i want to do this instead of this then i would just say no because you're an athlete and i'm the coach and we need to do this for your sport regular person doesn't matter as much to the overall picture and so we'll just work around whatever kind of things that they want to do Mm -hmm. and I, i think that really shows your uh uh, growth and experience as a as a trainer, where you're able to go go with the flow and go with what the uh, um, you know the client, let's say, wants to accomplish in that training session, while still pushing your agenda forward as well. Um, in the beginning, when I was uh, uh, my first year of coaching, I had like a very specific idea what we were going to do during uh, our training session, and if the client had any sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, just things that they wanted to change up, it would almost freeze me up. And I'd be like, uh, I don't know. What, what if we if we change it up, it won't work? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I would just get uh, so worried about changing things up, because I was like, I already had this whole thing planned out, I spent forever trying to figure out what the session's going to be like, and now we got to change it? What? So as, as, of course, throughout throughout the years, as I became more experienced, and was able to you know, understand that it's okay to change the plan and how to change the plan, right? You, you, you know, you, you, if you, if you're, 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 if you're wise and experienced, you, you can change the plan, but still accomplish the same thing. So that, then that just comes with time and kind of, uh, um, you know, trial and error. So it's, it's, I, I'm kind of very much on the same page as you. I, I don't fight what the client wants to do. I go with uh, along with the flow and I just gently nudge them in the direction. So they want to go. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. It's, but I think it's a, it's a hard thing to kind of uh, wrap your head around too, because we're taught or, you know, depends where you learn stuff from, but it's like, no, you must do this. And if the rest time is like 63 seconds instead of 60 seconds and you're not getting the same training effect and it's like, yeah, but it's okay. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. so we can just, there's many ways to get there. There's no like one right answer. I think that's kind of been an overarching theme of, this whole conversation has been like, there's not, there's many ways to get there. And so if this way makes the person happy and my way is, is, is the way that I think they're both going to end up in the same spot. So as long as we're just both in the same page, then that's okay. And we'll get where we're going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned rest times. That was going to be like my example of something that I've totally changed my mind on is because it's like, 
uh, especially when it comes to like muscle building, you know, I always used to be like, oh, if the rest is too long, you're going to not be able to build muscle. <laughs> Whereas like, you know, I've t- totally changed my mind on that. I think there are way more important uh, aspects to muscle building than rest time. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think a lot of these things, they get super picky and like maybe in an elite level bodybuilder, it matters way more than regular person. But if, you know, if this person is like out of breath and they're still lifting that 10 pound dumbbell, like you're, you're just not building any muscle, you know, like <laughs> if we can rest longer and you can lift a little bit heavier, then it's probably okay. Or like, you know, do something else better. There's like a million parameters. And so being super picky on the rest time is not always the, the best use of like uh, an argument or uh, being stingy on. Yeah. Yeah. Great, man. Thank you so much for your time again. Uh, if people want to reach out, reach out to you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Um, I think just Instagram is probably the best. It's just my name at Daniel yours. Um, but yeah, man, this has been great. I'm really happy we got the chance to do this. Mm-hmm. Hopefully next time we'll get to do it uh, in person or something, but this has been awesome. Yeah, I appreciate all your insights. Um, you know, we uh, definitely agree on a lot of things. I remember when we worked at the same gym together, I, uh, would look at your as you were training other clients and I would see uh, a lot of similarities in our styles. And uh, uh, that's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you a little bit more to kind of flush out some of these same thoughts that I have that I'm sure you have that, you know, it's important to say these things out loud and really clear your thoughts. And uh, uh, the more clear you are on your thoughts, the more you can, you know, you can go forward uh, knowing who you are and knowing who you want to help. So Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's, it's been great. Thank you for listening to the end of this episode. I hope you have a clearer idea of what kind of coach you want to work with if that's what you're looking for. Perhaps you need a specific goal first before deciding to find someone to help you with it. Or perhaps you need to see if you can do it on your own first. Or maybe you need to create a list of questions to ask the coach if you're considering to hire them. No matter what part of the process you're at, I wish you the best of luck in finding someone who is the right fit for you. If you got value from this episode, please hit the like button, subscribe to my channel, and hit the notification bell. If you have questions or comments, please leave them below. And lastly, you can connect with me through my free bodyweight training program called Body Basics at subscribepage.com slash bodybasics.